0: Five, four, three, two, one, let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK, sharing faith, knowledge, hope, and love. Hi, and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore, and I am a stage four kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate, and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, chronic illnesses, and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. In today's episode, I am bringing you a Kidney Warrior story. Now there's always something you can learn from someone's story, something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today from Birmingham, England, is business owner and kidney health advocate, Pete Clare. Pete shares his inspirational story of his sudden diagnosis of kidney disease, overcoming depression, the failure of two kidney transplants, being empowered to manage his dialysis treatment and the lessons he has learned along his Kidney Warrior journey. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior, the podcast. How are you doing today, Pete?
1: I'm very well. Thank you very much, today, and thank you very much for having me on your show.
0: It's my honor to have you today. As everyone knows, I always love recording Kidney Warrior story interviews because, as I've said so many times before, I really believe that listening to people's lived experiences is such a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. And um, so, yes, so thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. So my first question is, how did your Kidney Warrior journey begin and how were you diagnosed?
1: My journey actually started in 1995. I was actually at the age of 21, right? So at the peak of my age, wonderful job. I was a maintenance engineer, night shift working. And all of a sudden, whilst we were doing, I applied for the job, they went for I had to go for a medical and that's when they realized that I was passing a lot of protein through my urine so from there it was follow up uh, appointments through the hospitals they put me on blood pressure tablets and then all of a sudden a year down the line i collapsed prior to that i was continuously vomiting and i was had diarrhea put a lot of weight on you know um and I See, at the time, because I was only 21, I was actually into uh, powerlifting. You know, not weightlifting, but powerlifting. So I used to be a pretty big lad, very muscular. And it was me thinking, yep, I'm getting bigger and bigger. It's just me putting body weight on. But unfortunately, it wasn't. It was uh, my kidneys were giving up from inside. So obviously got admitted into hospital when I collapsed. And when I woke up, I had loads of machines around me. You, know, you name it, that machine was around me, right? And there was you know, a team of doctors looking at me and saying, you know, glad to have you back. But unfortunately, your kidneys have failed. So what they, in medical terms, is what I, they call I was crash lander. You know, all of a sudden, my kidneys just packed up. You know, they're below the GFR level that just wasn't working and I needed dialysis ASAP in a nutshell
0: you know that must have been quite a shock to the system to suddenly be told that your kidneys had failed
1: it was absolutely life-changing you know um with me it was none of my family have had it none of my family have ever diagnosed with um, you know high blood pressure or diabetes or renal failure you know so it was all brand new to us all new to us and you know it was was a very scary journey you know my parents you know first thing when they see me you know with all the machines around me you know connected up with lines and this and that they thought I was going to die when I woke up like you know the seeing all the doctors around me I thought yeah I was a goner as well. You know, but slowly as time passed around, you know, they explained what had actually happened and what the next steps were going to be. You know, going on to dialysis and then choosing uh, and accepting uh, what form of dialysis I was going to go for. You know, was it peritoneal dialysis or was it going to be hemodialysis? Being a young lad at the time, I thought, yeah, germane peritoneal dialysis is going to be you know, wonderful for me where I can, you know, go to work, do it at home. And it's just a bag exchange. Um, I can do it anywhere, you know. And the way, you know, the doctors were explaining it, um, you know, it, it sounded perfect, you know. So the first journey I had, I was actually in hospital for uh, two months, you know, two months I was in there, you know, trying to get myself back to normal. And in that process... They they put a line, a uh, peritoneal line within my stomach. You know, left it for ten days, and after ten days, they wanted uh, me to start training, to start doing bag exchanges. Right, we did the bag exchange. Fluid was going into my stomach, into my peritoneal wall, but then nothing would drain out.
0: Oh, wow. so they
1: took me back into theatre, did a catheter flip, and two days later they you know, tried it again. But still, it was, um, you know, the fluid kept going in, but nothing would drain out. So they ended up um, taking the catheter out. But whilst I had the catheter, whilst they were messing around, I developed an infection, which I had to stay longer for It in hospital. Yeah. So whilst I was still in hospital, they prepared my fistula, you know, where I could start needling, but because I needed emergency dialysis, I had uh, a neckline in my jugular vein, you know. So I had two like two prongs sticking out my neck, you know, and I had that in for, you know, luckily I had that in for was it six, yeah, six months I had that in for.
0: Wow.
1: You know. But the way you know the doctors explained that this is You know, this is what we're going to dialyze you from. And if you lose this, we won't be able to use your fistula. And then we'll have to put a groin line in or, you know, use another vein to put these in. So it was the cleansiness, the rate of infection. I had to get into that attitude of, you know, using alcohol gel, sanitizing my hands every time, even if I wanted to have a little scratch, you know, around the area, which was an open wound. Around the skin, I'd always, you know, sanitise my hands first, and always got into that method of washing my hands, sanitising my hands before actually touched, you know, the open wound. So it was a complete life changing situation, you know. And then when the opportunity came home, to to come home, it was a diet plan, you know, changing my diet, what what I could eat and what I can't eat. You know, they, they sent you a dietitian. You know, a dietitian came and uh, you know she sat there. Oh, you can't have this. You can't eat this. Can't have that. You know, and I was there thinking, oh my God, what can I eat? You know, because everything like you know, for what a 21-year-old lad, it was like burgers, chips, chocolates, crisps. You know, kebabs. You name it. It was all out the window.
0: How did you begin to get your mind around all of this? I mean, to go from one day suddenly. Finding out that your kidneys have failed, to then going straight onto dialysis, and then the type of dialysis not working for you, and then having to switch to another form of dialysis, and being in the hospital for such a long period of time. I mean, how did you get your mind around all of these lifestyle changes, and you know how? The,
1: it was, you know what? It was very, very difficult, right? And I, I actually feel for people for patients who are actually going through this stage when they, the doctors turn around and say that you need some form of dialysis. Honestly, hand on heart, I went into depression for two years. You know, two years, it was, for my life, it was absolutely a standstill. I lost a lot of weight. First time my parents, uh, my dad drove me to the hospital The first time I actually dialyzed for four hours, right, I couldn't get out of the chair. I just could not get up to get out. To I actually walked into the dialysis center. You know they put me on as normal, but by the time I did four hours, right, I was completely shattered. Right, I did not have the energy to actually get up on my own two feet. My father. That day, I still remember it clear. You know, my father bought me on a wheelchair. You know, got me on into the car. He drove me back home. Uh, knocked on the door, told my mom, "Come out, we need to give Pete a hand to take him inside the house." And literally, my mom and my dad they carried me out from the car into the living room. And believe it or not. Within the living room, I had my little bedroom set up in that room. I had my bed for two years. I never went upstairs because I did not have the energy. I never used to walk up the stairs. You know, and within those two years, what I realized because it is at home, it is only myself, my mom, and my dad. I've got two sisters who were happily married, you know, and they were living their life, and I wanted them to live their life. With me at home, it was me, my mom, my dad. To top it off, being an Asian family, Sikh family, the only son, you know, it was very, very hard for my parents, you know. And what I realised was whenever I was upset, you know, my parents were upset as well. You know, we'd be in that same room, but we wouldn't be talking to each other. You know, we'd be, they'd be watching the TV or I'd be asleep, you know, and my mum would always be, you know, checking on me, asking me, do you need this, do you need that, you know? And then what also I realised was if I was happy, the day I had, you know, a good dialysis session and, you know, I was fit and healthy and whatnot and I was smiling, my parents were smiling, they'd be happy as well. You know, so it affected me, but it also affected my parents as well. You know, in a way where, you know, I was happy, they were happy. I was sad, they were sad. You know, there was lack of communication. And to overcome this, I had to do it for myself. You know, I woke up one morning, you know, and I turned around and said, you know what, I did not plan my life this way. Okay, you know. Him up there, God, you know, is sitting there. He's dealt me these cards. You know, let's face it. Let's, you know, take it on the chin. You know, I woke up that morning and I told my dad, I said, okay, move my stuff back into my bedroom, please. You know, I'd like to move on now. You know, it's time for a change. You know, my parents, you know, they, they were proud. You know, they were happy that year. You know I mean, he's finally accepted it. You know, because every day I went to dialysis, like, you know, I mean, and I always had that question, why me? Because everyone I saw within the hospital was a lot more older than me. A lot, lot older than me. They had children, you know, they had grandchildren, you know, and I, I couldn't see anybody of my age. And, you know, yeah, when I went into hospital, there was quite a few people there on appointments, at patient appointments. In the satellite unit where I used to dialyze, I never saw anybody my age. You know, so I always used to say, why me? Why have I been dealt these colours? You know, and every time, you know, every, anything wrong happened on dialysis, that's what I was going to die. Every time, you know. But like I said, I woke up that morning. It was probably a sign from, you know, or the almighty God, whatever you want to call him. He gave me that strength, and I've never looked back since that day. You know, life does move on, and, you, and it's accepting it, you know. With that, you know, with my renal doctors, I approached them, and, you know, we started speaking about why haven't we got groups where we're actually training people to accept the form of dialysis or pre-dialysis clinics? where they're actually coming in and seeing what a life would be in six months or a year or two years time when your GFR drops to that level where you need dialysis, you know, how to accept it, you know, and how to make that right choice, and then how to empower it, how to accept it. So uh, with kidney research, we were able to uh, set up a group called ACE, an ACE group, so where they introduced peer support educators. The ACE group stood for acceptance, choice, empowerment. Now the three words is accepting what you have, making that right choice of peritoneal dialysis or hemodialysis, and then in future a transplant. You know, so all those three options were laid on the table to show that it's not the end of the world. There is life, you know, at the end of the tunnel. Life does continue. And then, you know, empowering how to empower and accepting it and moving on. How does your life change? You know, it's like myself. I used to say to them that I've been to India. I've been to Europe. You know, you name the country, I've been there, I've been on holidays. It's just that extra bit of planning where instead of just packing your bags, book your ticket and leaving, you have to take a bit of time where planning that what hospital you are going to go to, what kind of treatments they offer, and then making those arrangements.
0: It's things like that that really make a massive difference. So for you in making that choice to move from downstairs to upstairs for some people that might sound like a really small thing but it's something so powerful it's almost in terms of like metaphorically speaking you're rising up like you're going from downstairs to upstairs it's like you're physically going from one place to another but emotionally you're rising up and claiming back a part of yourself as well and I think that is really important like so much can be lost of ourselves when we become diagnosed and claiming back from the the smallest thing going back to your your bedroom and your space to greater things like going on holiday and things like that all of these things tie into claiming our lives back as kidney patients and i really think it's so important
1: it's very very important it's like when you know when you are dealing with um, health issues right i think you do just give up you know you lose that motivation and family around you they do try to support you as much as they can right because they're your loved ones they will always be there with you you know my mom her main worry was you know will i be able to get married you know she always thought that you know and she used to ask the doctors right will he ever have children? You know, will you have to get married? Will you have children? You know, and, you know, the doctors say, yeah, when the time is right, everything will fall into place. But it's for me to accept that and make that choice and moving on and having that motivation of doing something. Everybody can tell you that, Pete, do this. Pete, do this. You need to do this. You need to be strong. You know, you need to have faith but until you don't realize it for yourself and you want to do it for yourself, right? Nobody can make you do it. So making that choice that morning, when I woke up of, you know, changing, taking my life back and moving back into my bedroom, you know, it was, you know, and it was baby steps, right? It was small steps where, you know, slowly, slowly going up the stairs where I can walk up the stairs now. It was one step at a time, you know. And my parents, one of my parents, you should always be behind me just in case I do lose my balance, you know. And then it was gained that extra support, getting an extra banister put on, you know. Uh, but I'd have what I can say every step of the way. Your hospital, your consultants, your nurses, you know, if you keep speaking to them and talking to them, and Explain how you feel, right? They are absolutely wonderful. You know, although they don't experience the pain you're going through, but the emotions are there, right? They are there, although it's a job for them. It's personally, from my point of view, my nurses and my doctors, I see them once a month sometimes twice a month right and I know everything about them their family their kids and it's like another family which I've grown into you know I've been on dialysis what 26 years now so within 26 years I've got the same consultant and the same team of nurses and when I got married to my partner most of the hospital people were there You know, the people that I met on through my diocese unit, you know, my consultants, uh, my nurses, they were all there. And yes, I did get married. You know, my wife's from India and. My parents, they went from here. I didn't go. Right. My parents went to India. My sisters went to India. My aunties, my uncles, they all went. The only one who didn't go was me. And. Funny enough, they sent me a photo. They sent me a photo of my missus, right? This is who you're going to get married to. So it was a arranged marriage. Okay. Her family, her, her maternal aunt is here. Uh, so she, she approached us. And this was, I think it was about five, yeah, five to six years later after I was first diagnosed. So by that time, since I made that choice, my life got better and better and better because I started to ask questions on dialysis you know why am I doing this why is this happening you know what does the artificial kidney do how does it work what does it look like from inside you know and believe it or not they actually when I asked that question they actually cut the dialyzer in half and they showed me what the fibers looked like inside you know so every step of the way if you are not Sure, ask the question. It may sound silly to you, right? But knowledge is the greatest weapon you could ever have, right? So from there, as I asked, started asking questions. You know, my confidence grew because I knew what I was getting into, what I was doing, what was happening, what dialysis was really about. You know, and balancing my diet. You know. At first, it was the doctors who were telling you, you know, you've got a fluid allowance. I was only allowed a litre a day, you know. And then I was going back and I was like overweight because I was drinking too much. But then, you know, it got to that stage where my mum would fill up a litre bottle, right? Whatever they'd be giving me, she'd be spilling it out that litre bottle. And then by the afternoon, my litre would be finished. And I had the whole day, and believe it or not, I used to go into the bathroom, right, and drink water out the tap in the bath. Because it's like, what I learned was, when somebody tells you not to do something,
0: okay, the more
1: you want <laughs> to do it. <laughs> okay, The more you, seriously, it's, it's like, the example I can give to you is like, when you tell a kid not to play with matches, Right? Until that kid doesn't burn himself, he ain't gonna learn. (laughs) He or she ain't gonna learn. Do you know? Because there's always that mental block that, man, they're telling me not to do this. Why are they telling me not to do this? You know, until they keep playing with matches, they'll burn them, then they'll learn the lesson. I learned the hard way that every time I used to go in overweight my dialysis would be a lot more painful. Ooh, okay. Right? Because I'd, the weight, they would take a lot more off. And the after effects would last me until the next dialysis session. Right? And then the days I would stick to my fluid allowance, right, I'd feel good. I'd feel great. I'd still do my 4 hours dialysis session but the after effects were a lot more less. All right, I see. So mentally, I, I started to understand that, yes, it's down to me. If I drink a lot, eat a lot, it's going to affect me on dialysis. So you had to start planning ahead. So when the arrangement started for my wedding they sent me a photo right all my family went to India and I said to my parents and I said to my sisters I said look this is going to affect her for the rest of her life I don't know when I'll have a transplant and when not but this will affect her for the rest of her life she has to live with me and she has to face this with me if she can accept this she can accept, accept me as well for who I am, you know. But I don't want nobody to tell her not that this is not what it is. So my parents, you know, took her to her side. My sisters, you know, they explained everything to her, you know. And when she came to this country, I took her to a dialysis with me. You know, we sat there. She was very nervous, right? But then I also explained to us, if you, if this is too much for me, you know, for you to accept, you can still turn around and say no. You know, because I don't want you to marry me, then not accepting it, and then we go through divorce in a year's time, two years' time, three years' time. You know. I so said, I want a life partner who accepts me for who I am with this medical condition, which will affect you for the rest of your life. You know, and if you can accept it, uh, we'll tie the knot. And I think, I mean, she, uh, a couple of times, she, you know, she came with me to the and she was asking the same questions as what I was asking seven, eight years ago. So as she got the knowledge, she started accepting it as well. You know, we've been happily married. We've got two beautiful kids, you know, I've got a daughter, and I've got a son, you know, who are aged, what, 17 and 16 now.
0: That is absolutely lovely that for yourself, having kidney failure before having a family and that question being whether you are going to be able to have children and going on to have children really does give hope to people who are in that situation. So it it goes to show that kidney failure isn't just a death sentence. You really can live a full and normal life.
1: It, you've just you've just hit the nail on the head. The magic word you just use is hope. Never ever give up hope. Right? With hope, you can conquer the world. You know, and once you can conquer your life, right? Everything is behind you. Then, you know, you've got the whole world in front of you. You know, but you have to accept it. Right. And hope for the best. Just to give you an example, when I had to leave my job as a maintenance engineer. But before that, when I was in college and university, I used to um, do video filming and photography. And that was my part time business. So I used to make uh, wedding filming and photography. And I went into a house to do um, her daughter's wedding. I got there and I. God's honest truth, it looked like I was in a funeral home, like somebody had died in the house. You know, there was no hustle, there's no bustle. Like, do you know what I mean Asian weddings? You know how you know, extravagant they can be. Like, you know, like, do you mean the night before parties whatnot. Yeah. and whatnot? And we've seen none of it. You know, and we walked in. So we started filming, we did all our little bits. And the bride was not that happy and we was like me and my photographer, like we were thinking, you know what, this bride's getting forced married. You know what I mean? She loves somebody else, but she's getting forced to get this marriage. You know, this is with me and Aaron talking, like you know. And then they bought the mum down, the bride's mother, right? And two of her aunties were holding her, you know, and it clicked. So we thought, you know, mom's not well. That's why there's the dampening on the wedding. So. You know, by the time we'd all packed up, right, did all the filming, you know, I sat down as a member of the family, I sat down with them, and I asked them, I said, Jimmy, I said, Look, you don't have to tell me, but this doesn't feel like a wedding house. Can you explain why? Right. And this is you've seen Auntie there, haven't you? Your auntie? I said, Yeah. So what's wrong with her? And this is oh her kidneys have failed. Uh, Straight away I clicked. I thought, you know what? I know what she's going through and all of a sudden all those memories right which the day i woke up with kidney failure were there in front of me and i could see myself i could picture myself her, her bed was actually downstairs in a room as well you know in a separate room away from the family nobody was allowed to go into that room just a few people so i went you know, do you mind if i go in and They were in that room with the bed. There was two ladies, her sisters were sitting there and the bride was sitting there as well. You know, they were all like, you know, they were all tearful, right? So I sat down with um, the mum and I said, "Auntie, how are you? What's wrong? First thing she turned around and said to me, she goes, I'm dying. I don't know how long I'm going to live. She'd given up hope. That's what it was. She'd given up hope, you know. So I sat there and, I, you know, I listened to her, you know, and I said, so how long has this been going and on for? She goes, it's been about two months. You know, they do this, they, they go in, I go to a hospital, they take my blood out, my blood goes round of a machine and then the blood goes back into me and a lot of it's thrown away and you know, I'm losing blood, I'm going to die. The word, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, kept coming out. And uh, so I said to her, auntie, how old are you? I shouldn't be asking this like, can you auntie? But how old are you? And she goes, you know, I'm old enough to be your mother as well. I said, okay. You know, I said, look, your daughter, you've called me a son now, right? Your daughter is my sister, right? Sat down next to her, right next to her. So I was actually sitting on the sofa. So got right off the sofa, I sat down, pulled my arm up. I asked her first, I said, how do they dialyze you? She goes, oh, I've got this little thing in my arm right where they put needles in. So then I rolled my arm up and I said, "Auntie, this is what it is, isn't it? Exactly like this, isn't it? It's officially here where where they've operated here and then they put two needles here, one here and one here. And then they take the blood out and then it comes back into you. And she was looking at me like shocked. And she was there going... You know, I said, Auntie, what you're doing now, I've been on this for, I think it was about eight years. Yeah, eight years at that time. I've been doing this for eight years now. And then it all rolled back into her. It's like, do you mean? And I told her, I said, Auntie, I think I was only what, 28, 29 at that time. Right. I said, Look, I've just been married. Right. I've got no kids and I'm the only son. How do you think my mom feels? I said you've got a you've got a beautiful daughter here. Your son's married. He's got children. You know. I said, don't give up. I said this is your daughter's wedding. You've been planning this for a very long time, right? And I said I thought I came in and I thought I was in a funeral home because it was that quiet. So I shared my story with her, listened to her, gave her some advice. And I left her at that. Next morning, eight o'clock, I came in to start filming for the wedding, walked into the bride's room to film her all with her get up. All she did was got up, came up and just hugged me. All right. right, she goes, Pete, I don't know what you said last night, but mom has absolutely changed. She goes, she was the first one up and she was shouting at everybody, "Come on, get up! We got a wedding in the house. We need to go. Everybody, get dressed!" And she goes, "She was the first one. She actually, she goes, she didn't walk up the stairs, but she goes, she sat on each step, and then got up to the stairs by herself. She hasn't done that, wow. you know. And then throughout the whole day, you know, it would just motivate Auntie. You okay? Do you need a drink? You know, and." Before I left the night before, I told her, says, What I want you to do is put some ice cubes in the freezer. And I told her husband, this is a lot, I said, and in those ice cubes, put a bit of lemon in there, a little bit of lemon drop in there, right? Because when we're thirsty, right, instead of having a drink of water, we would suck on those ice cubes. Right. And I told her, says that's what you're gonna have all day throughout the whenever you feel thirsty that's what you're going to use, the ice cube, suck on an ice cube. Throughout the whole wedding, you know, she was absolutely fantastic. She was on the dance floor, booging away. Right, <laughs> you know what I mean? Although she had a walking stick, but you know what I mean? It made her daughter's day that day. And all I did, what did I do? Just gave her a bit of hope. Yes. You know, and a bit of encouragement. And it changed her life. You know, the bride... When they leave, right, they get into the car and they're supposed to just get into the car and leave and go to the groom's house. And that's when I stopped my filming. So once we did that, what I noticed, the car drove up and then stopped. The bride actually got out of the car, come out, and then the groom came back as well. And they both had me in their arms, right, stood there crying. You made this day for us. You made it extra special. You know, she goes, "I had my mom back because of you." You know, those words, right? Do you know what I mean? Just gave me the drive to help other people. It's very, very emotional. Like, right? you know I mean, when I do talk about, it, I do get emotional about it because it brings me back to that scene where a bride who, who's only allowed to stop at the groom's house, but they stopped just to say thank you. Nice. It, made, it meant a lot to him honestly
0: that is awesome and it shows the power of sharing your story that Absolutely. lived experience it is so powerful so for someone who has just been diagnosed with kidney disease someone who is scared doesn't know what to think what advice do you have for them
1: um well my advice to them is that it's going to be very very scary there's going to be a lot of medical jargon thrown at you you'll understand you'll never understand it but as time goes on right you will ask the right questions and those questions right maybe when you're at home away from dialysis away from hospital Write them on a book, right? Start writing things down because when you're in front of the doctors, you tend to forget. You will forget all the questions because you'll have 101 questions, but you won't be able to remember all of them. Start writing them down. Once you start writing them down, you'll get the answers. With the answers, it'll make you a lot more confident. You'll understand what is happening with you. And why the doctors are doing this. Just ask questions. And it will take a long time to accept. But you have to accept it for yourself. You accept it. Right. You make that change. And you'll see it makes change for your family. For your loved ones. Life gets better again. It all gets back to normal. But, you know, I mean, to me, life is normal to me now, right? Whereas dialysis does not rule my life. I plan dialysis. Dialysis works around my life, not the other way around. That's the biggest step, because a lot of people think our lives has to fit with dialysis. You no, know, make your life fit into dialysis. You know what I mean? And that's, that's only with accepting it first.
0: Yeah. And that is so powerful, what you said. That's amazing advice. Thank you. And you touched on acceptance as well. And yes, it can take some people years to accept it. Absolutely. Can take people instantly could take some people weeks could take some people months it's an individual thing and I think it's important that people know that it is an individual journey and it's okay if it takes a bit longer than the next person the most important thing is that you get there at that point of acceptance because like you said when you reach acceptance that is when your life does change for the better because you see things Even the same situation, and and it's amazing because the difference acceptance does is it frees you even within the same situation. So although the situation is the same, how you feel about the situation is different and so much better and straight away you can cope better. So I really 100% agree with you. Acceptance is so important.
1: It's like the question which I had was like, why me? Why has it happened to me, right? It took me two years for accepting it. I was in total denial. Two years after accepting it, I've seen a lot more other people. These young people that I was looking at, I was trying to find, I found them after two years because me accepting it made me move forward, right? And then I realised I'm not the only one on this journey. Yes. You know, there's a lot of people, right? And then I got to that stage where I used to go to other hospitals, other dialysis units to offer advice to other patients. It's like, you know, we started off at QE, then moved to City, Sandwell, Heartlands Hospital, and we all linked together. And the biggest one... I really found hard was when I went to Children's, bed, Children's Hospital, and when I seen young children below the age of 16 on dialysis, you know, and there was me thinking, you know what? I'm thinking about myself, but look at these young children. They're exactly going through what I'm going through. I've seen a lot of my life, but, you know, they, they're still learning and they're still kids, how do they accept it? But the magic was there, their parents have accepted it and they've made that little bubble where they'll grow with it, you know? So if they can do it, why can't we do it? That was always my attitude after accepting, is that why can't I do it? Why do the nurses have to do it? So each time I went into a salary unit, it was a waiting game. So the first step I took was, it was always the hospital transport. The ambulance used to come pick you up, take you to the dialysis unit, and then bring you back home. But it was always, you had to wait your turn. So the timing of dialysis was something like six to seven hours so it'd be a whole day so my first step was start to drive to dialysis so that was the first step I took then whilst I was at dialysis I had to wait until my machine was ready the nurses would have other patients to get their machines on and take them off at the same time so it was a waiting game of waiting for my machine so I got to the machines and I turned around and said to the nurses, okay, teach me how to set a machine up, how to line and prime my own machine. So that was the second step. So started driving, got to the dialysis centre, walked straight in, started setting my own machine up. They taught me where the stuff used to be. I used to go in, pick my own stuff up, start setting my machine up, and then wait for my dialysis nurse to put my needles in. That was my third step. How do I put my own needles in? That was a very difficult one. Do you know, you're trying to always think about not blowing my fistula, because if I blow my fistula, I'll have to have another fistula. But then gradually, they started teaching me, started guiding me how to put the needle in, what angle to go in, you know, and what to feel once the needle has popped into your vein. So... The method of me driving to lining, priming my machine, to starting needling, right, and then driving back home. It saved me a lot of time. You know, what used to take, you know, seven to eight hours started becoming five hours, four and a half hours. And it was learning, you know, accepting it, learning it, and empowering myself to move on. You know and then from a satellite unit, when they knew that, yep, yeah, you know, he's capable of doing everything, they offered me the home program dialysis. Where they bought my own machine at home, they bought a brand new machine, fitted it all in, they did all the plumbing, and I dialysed at home in my own time, so I don't even have to drive there. And yeah, more time, so yes, honestly, as soon as I I started doing home dialysis. It was it was a complete life changer because the comfort of your own bed, of your own room, it makes a big difference. I remember, you know, a satellite unit. So we used to fight over the TV remote. Whoever gets the TV remote has to watch what they're watching. You know, because there was three patients watching one TV. And then nowadays, you know, I mean, it's, it's got to that stage where it's one chair, one TV. You know, man, it, oh, believe me or not, Aston Cross Dialysis Center, and this was the old Aston Cross Dialysis Center. I first dialyzed in um, QE, Queen Elizabeth Hospital. From Queen Elizabeth Hospital, this fitted me into a satellite unit, which was in Hereford. Right. So I had to wake up five o'clock in the morning for the taxi to come pick us up. Right to get to Hereford for nine o'clock, right? then dialyze for four hours. And we were lucky if all three other patients who'd take from Birmingham would get on that time. So if we all got on for four hours, we'd be back home for about eight in the evening. Wow. Right? So when Aston Cross, old Aston Cross uh, Dialysis Centre opened up, Believe it or not, I was the very first patient to walk through those doors. The very first patient. And I actually dialyzed on a computer chair because the furniture did not arrive. (laughs) Okay. There was only two patients dialyzing that day, right? All the machines were set. Everything was set. The only thing, the chairs, the dialysis chairs or the beds did not arrive. So I actually sat down on a computer chair and dialed on a computer chair. And when the new satellite unit opened up, I had an invitation for them to bring us in to show us the new unit.
0: So it's really been quite a journey going from getting to that point of acceptance, working through the process, you know, starting with one step after another, being more empowered to do things for yourself and then, now being at the point where you dialyze at home and you've got all the advantages that come with that. It's, it's such an amazing journey. It really is so powerful.
1: It's, it's changed my life. Do you know what I mean? It's changed my life dramatically. Like do you know I mean from what 26 years ago when I thought I was actually going to die, I'm actually sitting here, you know, speaking to you, Dee, you know, and sharing my thoughts, sharing my feelings. And on this journey, I've actually helped, you know, hand on heart. You know, I've helped a lot of people. I've done a lot of, you know, the major Asian TV channels. You know, I've been on that. I've been on the advertising material for the NHS, for kidney research. You know, wherever I could share my story, you know, I've shared my story. The reason I've shared my story is to help others to understand they're not alone. This journey, you may seem that you're on by yourself, but other people have been there as well. Other people have been there. They are going through it, but they are leading a normal life, as much a normal life you want it to be. So it does come back to that. It's what you want, the individual. You know, once they have learned to accept it, accept it, move on, keep that hope. Because life does change. It's like with me, I've been through peritoneal dialysis. I've been through hemodialysis, which I still am on. I've also been through transplant. I've experienced transplant as well, you know? But unfortunately for me, my first transplant was in 97, 1997, which was two years prior to my first dialysis sessions. And that kidney lasted me 13 days. I never got out of hospital with it. You know, and it was just me. My body just did not accept it because it was a foreign organ. Your body, your own body starts attacking it. But my sister kidney was given to a gentleman, which I'm in contact with, and his kidney is still working. You know, and that was, what, 26 years ago. And my recent transplant, which I had, was in 2017, which lasted me uh, four months. You know. So I have been, you know what I mean? I've been up up and down everywhere. And with being on dialysis, I've developed a lot of other health issues. But my attitude now is I just take it on the chin and move on.
0: You have really had so many challenges to overcome and to see that smile on your face, to see how much you've come through and to have that smile on your face and that strength and be able to share that encouragement and hope with others. That is absolutely amazing. You are absolutely awesome. This is why I always like to use the term kidney warrior because this kidney journey is so tough. It really does take a warrior to come through it.
1: Everyone individually is a warrior. Yeah, Yeah. it's how you fight right? and how you're going to win this battle. It's up to that warrior, individual warrior, to learn how to cope and how to accept it and then, you know, fight this for the rest of their lives. It is a life-changing situation, but that individual warrior and, you know, this podcast that you're doing and you've named it absolutely perfect, you know, Kidney Warriors. Each person is a warrior and they've got to fight their own battles. You, me, somebody else can't do it for them. But listening to myself and other people who have been on this journey, it will give you guys a bit of hope and a bit of empowerment that, yes, we can do it as well. If they can do it, we can do it. Yes.
0: So if anyone wants to get in contact with you, how would they do so?
1: It'll be my pleasure. I'll be more than happy to speak to anybody who is going through this journey. They can phone me or they can just email me.
0: And we will put those details in the description box.
1: That's great.
0: Thank you so much, Pete, for joining me today and for sharing such amazing advice. That word of encouragement that you gave in terms of acceptance, in terms of hope, in terms of empowerment. I really know that it will make a difference for so many people. Thank you so much.
1: Dee, thank you very much for having me. You know, and to all your listeners, stay strong. Stay strong. That's all I can say. Do you know what I mean? Individually, everyone can do it. Right. Just fight you to the last breath man don't give up never give up right uh, just keep it there stay strong and there's a beautiful life ahead of you guys right uh, Jermaine enjoy it enjoy every moment you have life's too short
0: thank you for listening to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast and don't forget that you can contact me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior Please do subscribe to the podcast and please do tell a friend. New episodes of this podcast are released every other Monday. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary
1: of a Kitty Warrior. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.